Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michaels' 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there, and welcome back to Walk Through the Bible. This is week eight. We are really progressing, and I hope that you are enjoying the read through your Bible this year along with me. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about what is in the Daily Bible, pages 219 to 256, or it's the dates of February 19 through the 25th in the Daily Bible. First of all, let me say that if you're not using the Daily Bible and you're using our downloadable reading guide, that's great. I hope it's working for you. Uh, You're going to be a little frustrated this week and next week uh, because of the way that the Daily Bible has put together all the laws. And so it's pulling from here and there. You're having to go back and forth to do your reading. Um, If at all possible, I really encourage you to get the Daily Bible. Uh, It has these wonderful daily summaries that really help lead and guide you through your reading each day. It's so helpful. Of course, if you can't afford it, if you really want to use your own Bible, that's fine. I'm here for you. And so each week I'm giving a really quick recap of what we're reading and pulling out some key lessons for you. I also want to mention that we have started another series to complement Walk Through the Bible, and it's called Going Deeper. So we have already uh, aired our first two Going Deeper series, which were on the uh, evidences of the Israelites in Egypt and evidences of the Exodus. And we have one coming up next week. So I want to make sure that you're taking advantage of the Going Deeper series. They're not required, uh, but just some added interest for those of you that want to go a little deeper uh, in some of the subjects. Uh, Last is that when we finish our 12th week, we're going to do a little quick review for the quarter. So I really encourage you, send me your comments and send me your questions. You can do that on the outofzionshow.com page there. Scroll down to the bottom and there's an area there where you can leave your comments and questions. I really encourage you to do that. I want to hear from you. And when we do our first quarter review, I'm going to answer some of those questions. And uh, it'll really help me to know where you are, how you're following, what your questions are, how we might do this better for you next quarter. So please let me hear from you. Okay, let's review what we've been studying. Uh, We've been studying the Israelites have come out of Egypt. They are in the wilderness and they lost the opportunity to enter the promised land because of their lack of faith. So they have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. That time's coming to an end and they are about ready to enter the land and we hit the pause button. We put the story on pause while that now we're going to review all the laws that God gave the Israelites 
in the Sinai and in the wilderness wanderings. This way, all the laws are put together in one section, neatly organized, uh, explained, and it's much, much easier to follow. So this week and next week, we are in the law before we pick up our story again. Now, the law sounds boring, doesn't it? But what we learned this week is that our God is a feast-loving God, and He gave them some really great ways to remember what He's done for them and to teach their young people what He's done for them and to honor Him and to celebrate Him. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, before we get there, I just want to talk about a couple of things that we read this week. We read, first of all, all the laws against idolatry and against paganism, against witchcraft and against divination. And so we see now that God has made it very clear to his people that he is against the pagan religions that they're going to be surrounded by. He is absolutely against them. And there's three reasons for that. First is he's a jealous God and he doesn't want his children, the Israelites or you and I, to be following after other gods. So that's number one. Secondly is he wants his people to be different. He doesn't want them to mix in with the pagans. Why? Because once you cease to be different, you cease to be. They would be just swallowed up by the pagan peoples around them. They would intermarry, and before you know it, they're gone. So he wants them to be separate and to be different. But also, the pagan worship, he says, is detestable to him. Those things are just abhorrent to God, and he doesn't want his people to have anything to do with them. Then we went and we read a section about the ceremonial laws, and we began about the, the first fruits, the offering of first fruits. And we also read about the importance of tithing. And so I just want to bring out two quick observations here in this section. And one is that the, the whole offering of the first fruits is to remind us that in the end, everything belongs to God. And all of our abundance, all of our harvesting, our crops, our fruits are all because God was good and he brought rain and he brought sunshine. And it all comes from him. And so we need to give back to him and honor him for that. Also in the tithing, um, God set up a system whereby tithing was the provision for the priest, for the Levites. They didn't have an inheritance in the land. They were provided for by the people through a system of tithing. So it was very important. Then we read about all of the laws about offerings and about purifications. Now, I bet you dinner that you skimmed, huh? You skimmed right through a lot of those laws. I know, I did too. But what can we learn from them? Well, first of all, all of the laws about offerings show that we are to approach God with something in our hands. We are not to come to Him empty-handed. We're not to hold back. 
we are to recognize how generous God is with us, how much he's given us, and we are to then approach him with something back. It's a recognition that everything came from him, just like the first fruits, but it's also a recognition that we owe everything to him. And so we make these offerings to him. But there's also something about the offerings of making restitution. And there is a a lot of um, ceremonial purification. And that is to teach us that our God is a very holy and righteous and pure God, and He cannot have fellowship with sin. He can't have fellowship with us if we don't come before Him in purity and in righteousness. And so because of God's great love for His people, He provided a way for them to make restitution and to purify themselves so that they could come in and have fellowship with God. That's how much He loves us. That's the lessons that we have from all those laws about the ceremonies, the the offerings, the tithes, and the purification. So now I want to focus on uh, one of two major things that we're going to talk about today. And the first is about the Sabbath. Um, very, very interesting uh, thing concept here. You know, the Sabbath goes all the way back to the very beginning in the creation story. It doesn't begin here with the Mosaic law. It begins in creation. God created the world in six days. And on the seventh day, he ceased from creating and he rested. So Sabbath, the rest on the seventh day is actually an integral part of who God is. We serve the God that created the world and that God rests on the seventh day. So it's a part of who he is. And therefore, it was a part of the Ten Commandments. It's a basic principle that we are to honor the Sabbath. Why? Because we serve the honor, the God that honors the Sabbath. Secondly, it's to give us time to spend with him. On that day of rest, he was very clear uh, in the law that we were to spend that day with him. So he is a, he loves us and he wants to have fellowship with us. And that's how he wants us to spend that seventh day of rest. But in the Mosaic law now, the Sabbath takes on a third significance. It's not just because of who God is as the creator God. And it's not just so that we would have time with him. But it becomes a sign of the Mosaic covenant. It becomes a sign of their obedience to the Mosaic Covenant. You know, I once had a Jewish person explain it to me in this way. The Sabbath was to the Jewish people like a wedding ring is to a married couple. It's a sign of this covenant of marriage between God and his people. So let's talk about a wedding ring. What does a wedding ring do? Well, first of all, it's a reminder Every day I put on my wedding ring and it's a reminder of the wonderful marriage that I have, the wonderful spouse, of his love for me and of my love for him. And it's just a reminder. It's like I take him with me 
during the day. But secondly, this wedding ring also marks me as married. So to those around me, they know I'm married because of my wedding ring. So the same thing with the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a reminder to the Jewish people that they are in covenant with the God that created the universe. And because he's a Sabbath observing God, they are to observe the Sabbath and they are to do it as a sign of this marriage that they have with him. But obeying the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath would also set them apart from all the other peoples. And throughout history, you could look at a Jewish person and see they were observing Sabbath and it was a sign, oh, you're Jewish. You're a part of that covenant. So that's the role that Sabbath took on with the people. Now, how did they observe it? Well, in the law, we read this week that they were not to kindle a fire on the Sabbath and they were not to work. They were to cease from their labors. So this is where the rabbis come in and they decide, well, what is labor? Is this labor? Is that labor? Well, how much of that is labor or not labor? And they came up with tons of restrictions and clarifications to this law because the people didn't want to violate the Sabbath. And they had lots of questions. Well, can I do this? Can I do that? And the rabbis would make these rulings. Well, no, you shouldn't. You can walk this far, but you shouldn't walk any further than that. That will be considered labor. And so then there became disagreements between different rabbis over what was accepted on the Sabbath and what wasn't. And it was different rabbinic uh, interpretations or different rabbinic rulings. And we see this in the time of Jesus. So actually, in the New Testament, Jesus never disagreed with the observance of the Sabbath. All he did was sometimes disagree with a rabbinic ruling about what was allowed on the Sabbath and what wasn't allowed on the Sabbath. So that's important to know. Now, um, today, a, a Jewish family observes the Sabbath. They usually go to synagogue to pray. And another common traditional observance is the Friday night Sabbath meal. Now, if you and I were Gentile, if you didn't grow up in a Jewish family, you may have never uh, experienced a Sabbath meal. It's really a very lovely, uh, special time. And if you ever watched Fiddler on the Roof, you would have seen it in Fiddler on the Roof. So we see the Friday night dinner with the white tablecloth and you have uh, two candles and the, the woman does a blessing over the two candles and there's a blessing over the uh, beautiful braided bread that's called kala bread and there's giving thanks uh, over the wine and um, there's a special blessing over the wife uh, from Proverbs 31, uh, over the Proverbs 31 uh, woman there, and a special blessing over her. And then the father blesses each of the children. It's a really lovely tradition, and it's beautiful to watch. And uh, the sons are blessed that may they be like Ephraim and Manasseh, 
You might say, well, why Ephraim and Manasseh? And there's different theories. One is that they didn't fight with each other. Uh, the other is that they did well uh, and excelled outside of the land of Israel. Um, and then the daughters are blessed that may they be like uh, Rachel and like Leah or like Sarah and Rebecca. And there's also the Aaronic or what we would call the priestly blessing. So that's like a, a traditional um, Friday night meal in a Jewish home. Really very, very special. But um, basically the Sabbath is the sign of the Mosaic Covenant because it's a reflection of who God is. Um, but it and it, it's also a sign of the special marriage covenant uh, between the Jewish people and the God of the Sabbath, the God, the creator uh, of the universe. I will say that for you and I, we, say, we serve the same God. And it's important to know that this is just an integral part of his character. And so when we observe Sabbath somehow in our lives, because it, it's part of the Ten Commandments, it's part of who God is. And um, without getting legalistic about it, rest is a good thing. And when we rest, uh, our rest identifies us with God, the creator uh, who created Sabbath. Our rest gives us time with him each week. And our rest demonstrates our trust in God. You know, it's easy. We have so much work to do. And, and I'll be honest, this is a real weakness for me. Uh, there's so much to do. And it's like, I just have to keep working. I've got to get this done today. Um, but taking that time apart to rest it demonstrates that um, it's not up to me. It's up to God. And so I give him that time. I tithe of that time and I give it to him in faith and in trust uh, that all that needs to get done will get done. But you know, the Sabbath rest, it's like an eternal principle. It's much, much more than a part of the Mosaic law. It's much, much more than that it's a part of the Ten Commandments. Um, it's a part of eternity. I think that the Sabbath rest is a, it's a picture. It's a, a hint of the beautiful peace and rest that we're all going to experience in eternity. And through Jesus, we can have a glimpse of that peace in our lives on earth. You know, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the writer of Hebrews 4 says that um, there's rest for all the people of God, not just the Jewish people, but for all of us that are part of the family of God through Christ Jesus, there's rest for us and that we need to make sure that we enter that rest and that we don't fall into disobedience and miss it like the Israelites did. Wow. Now, how did the Israelites miss the rest? This verse, if you read all of Hebrews 3 and 4, you're going to see what comes uh, before it, is it's talking about the Israelites in the wilderness and that their disobedience caused them to miss and to not 
enter the land. That was where they were going to have rest, was in the land. And you know how we've talked about how that the land for us is a type and a shadow of our salvation? It's a type and shadow that in Jesus, we are to enter into a place in life of spiritual rest. And so Hebrews 4 is telling us, be careful, be sure that you enter into that rest because it's there for everyone. So I came across an interesting quote I'll end this section with. It said, the Sabbath was given before the Ten Commandments, but it was guarded by Israel for centuries, and it was guaranteed in eternity to all who trust in the Lord. So that's Sabbath. Now we read this week that not only did God tell his people to observe the Sabbath every seventh day, but he wanted the land to observe the Sabbath every seventh year and that there would be no crops and that the land could rest. Why? Because in Leviticus, it tells us in Leviticus 25, because it's his land and he wanted it to rest like he does. And then he set into place the Jubilee year. So after every seven cycles of seven years, which is 49 years, the next year was to be the year of Jubilee. That's the 50th year. Now, this was mainly about property ownership, that property rights, the property was to be released and go back to the original uh, owner and uh, Hebrew slaves were to be uh, released. And um, this practice of the Jubilee actually fell out of practice uh, once the Israelites were in exile because it pertains to property rights in the land. And outside of the land, they were unable to observe it. It's interesting that God put into play, this is a pretty radical observance when you think about it, that every 50 year, debt is forgiven, slaves are released, and property goes back to the original owner. And there, it's as though God provided some way within society for there to be a, an, an intergenerational uh, uh, poverty alleviation that uh, somebody that that somehow fell into hard times and lost everything, that, that there was a second chance and something that our, our young people are crying out for, some kind of what they call social justice. I don't like the term, um, but here God actually put into the law some type of economic justice for the people. And I wish our young people knew this because they they think that the Bible is, is against um, what they're for, which this term about social justice. Um, one other point, Jesus, when he began his public ministry, announced that the year of Jubilee had come. So um, Jubilee, this cycle of every 50 years, it's, it's key to uh, God's economy and to God's times and seasons. He works in Jubilee cycles. And um, we saw it in the history. Um, and, and I just don't have time to go into that. But we saw it 
Now, I want to keep moving, though. Let's talk about the priestly blessing. I referred to that earlier, that they repeat that on the Sabbath. And we we covered this scripture this week also, the Aaronic blessing. Aaron was the high priest, so it's named after him, the Aaronic or priestly blessing, which is very well known. Um, it reads this way, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then after, that's the blessing, and then afterwards it says that, so that they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So the the high priest, the priests were to repeat this blessing, and in so doing, they were putting the name of God on the people, and he would then bless the people. Well, when this blessing is done, the high priest would put their hands in a formation where their thumbs were together and then their four fingers were divided into two. And what this did is this would cause the sign of the Hebrew letter a sheen. And sheen stands for Shaddai, which is God Almighty or one of the names of God, Shaddai. And the sheen is known as standing for the name of God. And so the priests would make this formation in their hand as though putting the name of God on the people when they pronounce this blessing. It's very, very special. Um, I will say that if you are a Star Wars fan, um, it is the same sign of the Vulcan. So I think some Jewish writer of Star Wars stole it and used it, but I kind of laugh that in Star Wars they're putting the sign of the name of God. <laughs> um, so now let's get back to our notes. When, um, okay, this verse, the priestly blessing, is uh, it was written out on little parchments and put into little called an amulet, which is like a uh, some kind of jewelry ornament, something that they would wear around their neck um, or hang on them in some way. And when they travel long distances, they like to have this amulet with this blessing in it. And um, one has been found that is from 850 years before Christ. So that makes this verse the oldest known parchment of Scripture that has been found thus far. It's the priestly blessing, and it's because uh, they produced uh, probably many copies of it for people when they traveled and to wear around them. Uh, the priestly blessing. So isn't that neat? 850 years before Christ, that's from the first temple period, from the time of Solomon, that they have found this parchment of this verse. Wow. Okay, let's get on. Our time is quickly moving by. Well, our title this week is it's a feast-loving God. He's a Sabbath-loving God, and he's a feast-loving God. 
And I love that in Leviticus this week, we read where he tells the people of Israel the various feast days that they're to celebrate. And of course, there's, you can do a long teaching on each one of their feasts. They are so full of rich spiritual insight and principles and types and shadows. And we don't have time to do that. But I do want to say uh, just a few comments before we end our time together. The uh, feasts of the Lord, first of all, are the Lord's feasts. These are not Israel feasts. They're not Jewish feasts. They are called, in Leviticus 23, he says, these are my feast. So once again, the people of Israel need to uh, celebrate and to observe these feasts because they're of the God that they serve. And um, that's why they're so rich in meaning. So the first one is the Feast of Passover, which is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Scriptures. And of course, we know the story because we've just covered it in our reading about the freedom of the slaves, the Israelite slaves from Egypt, the Exodus, the Red Sea crossing. And God says, I want you to celebrate every year to remember how that I set you free as slaves from Egypt, what I did for you. And this is a way of remembering. It's a way of celebrating, but it's also a way of passing it on from generation to generation. And what is so exciting is to stop and think that, I mean, how many years now, 3,500 years later, the Jewish people are still remembering and celebrating and observing this and remembering how that they were set free as slaves. So uh, a part of the tradition which has developed uh, over the years is a Passover meal, and it's called the Passover Seder. Now, the word Seder in Hebrew means order. So it just means it's a uh, the 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 meal, the order of the meal, the things that you're supposed to do during this meal for remembrance. And so there's always bitter herbs and salty water, and that's to remind them of the bitterness of the bondage and of the the tears that they cried, the salty tears that they cried. But then there's the lamb and the shank bone of the lamb, and that's to remember the sacrifice lamb on their behalf and that the blood was put on their doorpost and that they were saved because of the blood of the lamb. And of course, there's matzah, unleavened bread that they eat to remember the unleavened bread because they had to leave so quickly. They couldn't let their bread rise. And and all these things, uh, very uh, tradition, it's, a, it's a, a, a way of remembering every year. Well, this week we have a special episode of our Going Deeper series where we talk with an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, Shmuel Bowman, and we talk about the Passover, what it means to him and to his people and to his family. And so please join us back. We'll, later this week, we'll talk more about the Passover. It just so happens uh, this week, as we are recording this series, now, if you're listening to this series at some other time of the year, uh, I apologize. But if you're listening on the first, as we release this episode, this week does begin Passover this weekend. So it's the perfect time to be talking about this and to have Rabbi Bowman on with us. So I hope you enjoy that. 
the second great feast of Israel, there's three of them. The first one is Passover. The second one is the Feast of Weeks. In Hebrew, that is Shavuot. Shavuot meaning weeks. Unfortunately, we know this um, festival from its Greek name, which is Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost meaning 50. So the weeks, it's uh, seven weeks. And then on the next day is the day of uh, Pentecost, the 50th day. This um, Feast of Israel or Feast of the Lord is associated with the grain harvest. This is when they harvested the barley and the wheat. And, um, and so it's very much wrapped up with the agricultural year. But the rabbinic tradition is that it was on the the 50th day after the Exodus that God gave the law, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. So it is a commemoration of the giving of the law. Now I'm going to talk about this again when we get to the book of Acts, but I just want to bring it up quickly here. That on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was a beginning of the first fruits of the church, of the harvest. And it was in the new covenant where the law is to be put in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So it's all wrapped up and you can't make this stuff up. But these are the types and the shadows. These are the rich spiritual meaning that we get from these feasts of Israel. So I encourage you to study them in more depth. The last one um, are the fall feast. And most Christians that are, they're familiar with Passover because of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross as our Passover lamb. And we get that. And then we're familiar with Pentecost because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. But when it came to the fall feast, very few churches ever even mention the fall feast. And that's why the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, the founders of that organization, um, understood the need to begin celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles and teaching the churches about the fall feast because they hadn't been fulfilled yet. So there was a a lack of understanding of what they were about. They're prophetic. They're about a coming event. Now, I will say 40 years later, uh, not only are we still celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem every year, but churches all around the world are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles and they understand the meaning behind this. But 40 years ago, we didn't know the meaning. And um, we have the three feasts that are a part of the fall feast, the Feast of Trumpets, which is the Rosh Hashanah or the beginning of the new year for the Jewish people. And then 10 days later was the Day of Atonement. This was the day that the high priest went in to the Holy of Holies and that the atonement was secured and was accepted by the Lord uh, and sins were forgiven and the scapegoat was put out into the wilderness. That's the Day of Atonement. And then following that was a seven-week celebration, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the people of Israel were commanded to celebrate for seven days. So we don't have time to go farther into the meaning of, of the feast, the fall feast, but I want to give you a resource in just a minute. 
If you'd like to understand more about the Feast of Tabernacles, I have the perfect little booklet for you. So just hold on with me a few more minutes and we're wrapping this up. I want to say that these are the feasts of the Lord and they indicate something very deep in who God is and in his timing and his seasons. And so it has been said that all of history can be divided up according to these things. And I want to go back and just say quickly about the Sabbath. Uh, the rabbinic, there are rabbinic traditions that say that after 6,000 years, that there will be a 1,000 year of rest. And that's what we in the Christian terminology call the millennium. And if that's true, I have to say that we are very close to that time where the 6,000 years are up and we're gonna enter into that 1,000 year Sabbath rest of the millennium. But we can also look at all of history according to these feasts of the Lord, the three feasts. And it can be said that the period of Passover was from creation up until Jesus's death on the cross as the Passover lamb. And then the season of Pentecost began with the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we're still in the season of Pentecost. But then when the Lord comes and that millennium reign begins, we will enter the time of tabernacles where we will tabernacle with the Lord and we will celebrate with Him. Is that not exciting? It's just really uh, amazing, I think, when you look at these types and shadows and the rich spiritual significance of there's just layer upon layer upon layer of meaning that we can take away from what we read this week. So I hope you enjoyed this. Um, one last point, and I will wrap it up. I know I've gone a little long this week, but there's so much to talk about. Did you notice in your reading that 12, 13, maybe 14 times, the Lord said, and when you go to worship or when you go to present your offering or when you go to present your sacrifice in the place that the Lord will choose, you're to do it this way. Did you catch that? Well, where's the place that the Lord would choose? You know, they didn't know where that place really was for hundreds, several hundreds of years until it was chosen, Jerusalem. And the temple was built. And the Lord told David, uh, actually, this is when the tabernacle was put there. And the Lord told David, this is the place that I have chosen. And then Solomon built the temple there. And the Lord confirmed to him, this is the place that I have chosen. Well, I know we covered a lot. Our resources this week, join me in a few days. We're going to have the Going Deeper interview with Rabbi Shmuel Bowman talking about Passover. We also have a little booklet, Easy Read, that's going to tell you all about the fall feast and the Feast of Tabernacles and the meaning there for the church today. So please make a, make, take advantage 
and get a copy of that little booklet. We link to all of this in today's show notes, which are right below. So I will see you back here next week. I'm sure you're going to skim through again next week, but it's okay. I'm going to tell you what the lessons are that we have to learn from all the various laws you're going to be reading through next week. Hey, did you ever think that law was exciting? I hope you enjoyed today. I hope you'll come back next week. And until then, God bless.